Hi everyone and happy Instant Mental Health Awareness Week 2020. Today I'm joined by Sally Hogg. She's the Head of Policy and Campaigning at the Parent Infant Foundation. Hi Sally. Hi Dave, it's lovely to be here. Before we start to talk about this week, tell me a bit about yourself and the work that you do at the Foundation. So the Parent Infant Foundation, um, some of your listeners might have heard us before as PIP UK, we were renamed last year and we are um, an organisation that's focused on parent-infant relationships and how we strengthen those relationships to support babies' emotional well-being and development. And we do that primarily by working to grow and support specialised parent-infant teams around the country. So multidisciplinary teams that are really focused on families where there's kind of particular issues in parent-infant relationship in order to promote infant mental health. And they've often got different names. They might be called PIPs or Infant Mental Health Services or Parent-Infant Mental Health Services. But the key thing is that they're multidisciplinary teams with a particular focus on under twos and early relationships. But alongside working with those specialist teams, because we realise that the whole system has to support babies and emotional well-being, we also do work to champion infant mental health across the whole system and, and to champion universal and targeted services as well. And we coordinate the first 1,001 Days movement to do that. So my role is policy work for the foundation specifically on parent-infant teams, but also coordinating the whole sector as the first 1,001 Days movement to talk about why infant mental health matters. And obviously we've said about it being Infant Mental Health Awareness Week this week, but before we talk about that specifically, what is infant mental health? Yeah, good question. So we define it as the social and emotional well-being and development of children in the earliest years of life. And as I said in my last question, all of the evidence shows that the thing that's really fundamental to that early social emotional development is relationships, parent-infant relationships. So infant mental health really reflects whether children have got those early secure responsive relationships, which we know are really important for them to thrive. And what about Infant Mental Health Awareness Week? What is it? When did it start? And is there a theme for 2020? Yeah, so I mean, I guess it's, it's kind of, it does what it says on the tin. It's about raising awareness of infant mental health. And I think it is an area where a lot of awareness is needed. People, I think, sometimes feel uncomfortable with the term infant mental health because they're not familiar with it. And perhaps because they don't really understand about kind of babies and emotional well-being. I think often just generally as a society, we misuse the term mental health to mean mental illness and to think about kind of diagnosable mental illnesses. And people can't kind of understand how babies might have depression or anxiety or what they associate with the word mental health. So we've got to really raise awareness that babies are people like the rest of us and they have emotional well-being and mental health like the rest of us. But also what's really critical about babies' mental health is that because they're at this really important time in their development, it's not just about how they're feeling now, it's about laying foundations for kind of lifelong mental health. So that's why we have Infant Mental Health Awareness Week. It's been running for a number of years, um, probably about six or seven. I'm not exactly sure when it first started. And it's kind of had different guises over that time. We chose the theme 2020 vision this year, obviously just kind of hooking onto the fact that it is 2020, but really because that idea of seeing the world through baby's eyes, which works at a number of levels. So we know that to get those really responsive, nurturing relationships between parents and babies, it really helps if parents start to see the world through baby's eyes, to understand that their baby is, is a person with experiences, to kind of mentalise a bit. So that the kind of theme... we 
through that theme we can encourage parents to be thinking about their baby's experiences and practitioners to be supporting that through sometimes just reflective conversations um, or sometimes through kind of evidence interventions so things like video interaction guidance but also we can all think about baby's experiences of the world and how they influence what we do so if you're a health visitor for example what does it feel like for a baby coming into your service how can we reshape places and spaces and the way services operate so that they work for babies as service users as well as for parents and there's some lovely work that um, Anna Freud and have done with health visitors and is an example of this of really thinking about where do babies sit and lie and play during interactions and how can we set out spaces that really think about the baby's experience of a service and facilitate those really important interactions. And then as policymakers, what does the world look like if policymakers think about what the decisions they're making and how they're affecting babies? You know, would we make the same decisions about our criminal justice system if we were thinking through the eyes of the babies who were currently in mother and baby units in prisons? Would we make the same decisions about our benefit system if we were thinking not just about sanctions on adults, but actually the impact those had on their families? So there's a kind of whole different way that that kind of seeing through babies' eyes could be applied, which we hope people will kind of seize that opportunity and use in ways that work for them over the next week. So I know one of the things that's happening this week is the launch of the First Thousand One Days movement. What is it and what are you hoping to achieve with it? Okay, so the movement is an alliance of organisations, so big charities, little charities and professional bodies and others who are all working across different sectors, but with a kind of shared purpose around the importance of conception to two, that first 1,001 days, and particularly around the importance of emotional well-being, mental health during that time. Now, since 2013, the Critical 1,000 Days Manifesto has launched A lot of organisations have been working together in this space. But what we've realised is that although we've done a lot to kind of put this issue on the agenda, policy hasn't been going in a brilliant direction during that time. And actually a lot of decisions have been made that haven't benefited babies. So we need to change and step up a gear and do better. And so what we've done is brought all of those organisations together and created a more formal alliance, which is what the First Thousand Days movement is, with a really clear vision and mission and purpose so that we can be more effective, not just in kind of coming together and talking to each other about how much this matters, but really capturing and harnessing all that shared expertise and shared passion and focusing it outwards to really drive change for babies and their families. Unite Mental Health Nurses Association was a member of the previous work and is a member of the new movement. Can other organisations join in the party? Can individuals join in and how do they do that? Yeah, so yes, definitely we'd like as many people and organisations as possible to join us to help amplify the messages and, and kind of create that really critical massive movement for change. So that we, what we have is a kind of consensus statement which sets out really just the fundamental principles of why this matters and what we'd like to see and what we ask is for organizations to have a look at that and to have a look on their terms of reference and if they think yes definitely I am passionate about this then they can sign up it's brilliant to get organizations on board because that gives us that real weight but also if there are individuals who perhaps academics or nurses or health visitors who work in kind of really big organizations that perhaps might not join up themselves then they can join as individual supporters and kind of just tap into what the movement is doing and it's a kind of two-way process so what we want to do is to harness all that expertise and those voices to influence change upwards and particularly at, at government level but also to influence local decision making but what we'll also do is create resources and distill arguments and share evidence that help people to 
make the case and change drive change themselves because everybody across this system can be a change maker they can influence their own practice they can influence the little team they're in the service you know they can change things at a local level and what we want is to to empower all of our members and supporters and to help them to drive that change as well as to kind of utilize that shared voice One of the things you just mentioned was about the production of resources. Have you any examples of some previous resources that have been produced? Yeah, so we um, we created a couple of infographics last year, which just are, you know, they're really simple, just setting out what is the first thousand days and, you know, what matters during that phase. So kind of explaining around early brain development and the importance of early relationships and how that maps on to some of the outcomes that commissioners or decision makers might be talking about. So things like school readiness or lifelong mental health. So they're available on our website for anyone to download and use. And what we hope to do through that is to create a common language that's really powerful because I think often because we come at this from different angles, whether it be from childcare and early learning or mental health or maternity, sometimes we can be describing the same things in different ways around home learning environment or school readiness or infant mental health. So we want to try and create that shared language so that we, it's really obvious that we're all arguing for the same thing. And the infographics were kind of a way of doing that and just a kind of tool that professionals could use and show to whoever they're trying to convince, their local commissioner or their head of service and say, look, this isn't just me talking about this. Here's a really compelling argument that lots of people have signed up to. Yeah, and certainly one of the often quoted comments about information is that if it's on more than one or two sides of A4, then a politician won't read it. So I, I suppose what you're hoping to do is, is make sure that there's no excuse there that, that politicians that are making policy in this area can't get away and say that they didn't have information that was easily digestible. Yeah, exactly. So we want to create things at all levels. We've got, you know, the one page infographic with colourful pictures so that, you know, if you don't have time or you can't digest the information, it's right there kind of shouting out at you. But we've also got behind that links to scientific papers. You know, it's really robust. And the people who question it or who want to know more, we've got kind of those different levels of information. And we really want to do over the next year and going forward, really want to build that resource bank. And, you know, we're really keen to hear from, from everybody who is trying to drive change in this area about what resources would be most useful to them. And obviously we'll put links to the different resources in the show notes for today's episode so people can go there to find them. With the country gripped by the COVID-19 crisis, should we be concentrating on our response to that rather than thinking about infant mental health at the moment? I don't think they're different things. I think it's the same. So I guess our response to COVID-19 has many levels. There's the kind of really immediate, how do we deal with people who have this virus and who are really poorly, or how do we stop the virus itself from spreading? But increasingly as lockdown goes on and as the kind of ripple effects of the pandemic are felt, we're starting to see a lot of the secondary impacts of COVID-19 and of our response to it. And that's one of the impacts of that. One of the secondary impacts is the impact it will have on infant mental health. And it's a kind of silent, hidden secondary impact, but it's one that could be potentially enormous and very long lasting. And we might only really kind of visibly see the impact of it later on if we don't take action now. So there are babies, you know, every house that's locked down that has a baby in it 
you know, those babies are going to be affected by what's going on around them. And for some babies, it's been a positive experience. They've had parents who might have been furloughed or dads working from home who might not normally have been back for bedtime. You know, there's been some lovely stuff for some babies. But we know that some families haven't had either the social or the emotional or the practical resources to give the baby the care they need during this time. And some families have been pulled away from their support networks. You know, the family and the friends and the professionals who would normally help them in that important parenting relationship haven't been around. And so they might not have been able to provide babies the care they need. There's been lots of stories about domestic abuse, and we know the impact that during pregnancy and when in a new baby the domestic abuse and and other things poverty they all have impacts on babies and so i think we're likely to see a lot of risk factors for babies really kind of amplified and intensified during this time and unless we acknowledge that and unless government and public services do something to support those families to recover from that quickly and to deal with what's happened to them then the impact on those babies could be quite serious and we'll only know that over time so we are calling as first as one day movement for a recovery strategy from government that really looks at the secondary impacts of the pandemic on families and provides enough resources locally to support families to deal with the appointments that have been missed over this time the backlog of work that's been created to acknowledge that whilst services have done some amazing stuff and there's been some great kind of adaptation virtually that hasn't necessarily provided enough support for families and there will be new needs emerging over time. And the tail of this epidemic, if we have kind of prolonged and increased child poverty, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to deal with. So it's really important that we think of all of the ripple effects of COVID-19 and don't just focus on the very urgent, obvious need of those people who are ill with the virus itself. I think you've described really nicely there the wedge that's forced into deprivation where you've got families that actually have good resources and can cope with shocks relatively well but then you've got other families that have nowhere near enough resources and find it really difficult to cope with the global shock that we've seen with COVID and again that distance between the two will be even more amplified through this and I think you've described that really well. One of the things I'm thinking about as you're speaking is in terms of Pre-COVID, we already knew that children's services had suffered particularly harshly during the the years of austerity. And obviously, you you know, the work that we've done around health visiting and and the cuts that that profession's faced. We've come into this crisis with a weakened workforce and that workforce has been removed from doing that work. Do you think that they've got enough people there to be able to recover from this crisis and to support families going forward? I mean, in short, no, we didn't have enough going into this. And there's real risks that there has been further challenges to work for. You know, we, we know that people have been redeployed through COVID and some of those people either left holding a service when their colleagues have been redeployed who've, or who've been redeployed themselves will have had a really difficult time and, and might not want to stay in the profession going forward. And so there's a real need for some very focused attention now on supporting the recovery and the retention of those who remain in the workforce, but also building it back up. We can't talk about going back to normal after COVID because normal wasn't good enough. We have to talk about building back better. If we imagine it's June 2021, so next year, and it's the next Infant Mental Health Awareness Week, what would you hope we will have achieved over that last year? 
and maybe give us a few examples thinking about individual, organisational, policy and government achievements over that time. My absolute dream is that Boris Johnson replies to the letter that we send him this weekend and says, yes, I am going to be really clear about which cabinet minister is responsible for children's well-being, particularly the first thousand days. And I'm going to create a cross-government strategy that looks at improving outcomes, closing the gap, recovery from COVID. And I'm going to make sure that that strategy is funded so that we give every child the best start in life. Like that would be the dream. Any part of that would be great any recognition of the importance of the services, universal targeted and specialised services that work with families in the first thousand days that is backed up by investment. We can't just keep talking about these things being important without seeing some money for them because ultimately they're so stretched they can't do the job they need to do without some extra resource. But I mean, there are there are kind of other, you know, smaller things I just like to see. I mean, I just want government to be talking about infant mental health and to be talking about babies. It's been really obvious during COVID that when government talk about children, they mean verbal school-aged children. There's been so much talk about schools going back and maybe kind of childcare settings going back but not really what that means for babies if you look at the guidance around vulnerable children at the start of the pandemic or the guidance about childcare settings reopening and looked at those through a baby's point of view through a baby's eyes they don't think about the unique needs of babies and toddlers so i just i mean there's almost just a kind of let's start checking every communication and seeing are babies and toddlers and young children mentioned explicitly does the does policy work for them is infant mental health included when we talk about infant mental uh, mental health i'd love for government to start talking about infant children and young people's mental health because unless it's specifically mentioned it's forgotten So some of those changes in language, which might seem just to be presentational, but are so important in triggering the thinking and the policy change and and the kind of ripple effect on that. I'd like to see some of that. We're releasing some stats next week around just, we just did some really simple searches about how much is infant mental health mentioned. And I can tell you that Strictly Come Dancing is mentioned about 20 more times in uh, the Parliament Chamber than infant mental health over the last five years. You know, it's... it's just not there. No one's talking about it. So even if through the next couple of weeks we could get ministers and shadow ministers and MPs to just start understanding and start talking about stuff that, you know, that's a long way from real change for babies on the ground that we really need. But it's a step to, in the right direction. Uh, just as you mentioned that point, I was thinking about the last parliament that we had. And I know you've done some really good work and, and we had an influence in politicians. Obviously, some of those politicians are no longer in the House of Commons. Have we got some good hopes in terms of the new intake that they will be champions for infant mental health? I really hope so. Yeah, I mean, there's been some positive signs. So during the lockdown, the new shadow team held a a children's mental health kind of virtual roundtable. And I was invited to that. So that is kind of a tick in the box. They had somebody there thinking about babies, which, you know, hasn't always happened in the past. It's been a kind of different world. You know, children's mental health hasn't thought about young children. So just start. um, But it was a joint roundtable with the mental health shadow minister and the children's shadow minister. So um, Rosanna Allen Khan and Tulip Sadiq and that kind of just joint working there is really promising. It would love be lovely to see that from, from the ministers as well. So yeah, I think there are people who get it and it's moving up. And obviously some of our old champions are still there. Tim Lawton, who's the chair of, of our charity of Parent Foundation, 
um, Andrea Leadsom just before COVID hit announced that the Prime Minister had agreed that she could do more work in this space. So we'll wait and see where that comes out. But yes, I'm hopeful. What positives do you think the COVID-19 crisis will have brought to infant mental health that we need to make sure are kept once this crisis is over? Obviously, the the First Thousand Days movement was kind of in the process of relaunching when COVID hit, but it has really facilitated some fantastic joint working in the sector as people have kind of spoken out with one voice about what babies and their families need. So that's been a really positive experience. I think hopefully we will have seen, we'll see perhaps some recognition of the importance of services because of the unfortunate decisions that were made during COVID. You know, perhaps when people cut health visiting even more than it's already been cut, they start, they understood maybe what, what wasn't there when it was, you know, and started to recognise how important it was and what was missing when it wasn't there. Um, I think there is some valuable learning around virtual service delivery. I think there are lots and lots of limitations of virtual service delivery. It widens inequalities for digitally excluded families. It's very difficult to engage babies. But for some groups, young parents, some dads, for example, we've heard from services that they've found new ways of engaging. So I think whilst I really don't want us to suddenly adopt this because I think there's lots of limitations, I think we can learn about how to engage families and where digital might add to a package of support. And I hope that some of the changes I alluded to around families just being together more will have driven, you know, just awareness amongst families around actually the value that we do get when we're all together and when we remove some of those stresses of the external world. And for some families that might drive wider changes around maybe parents being at home a bit more, working flexibly, just acknowledging the value of, of spending time together. So, so I hope there are some positives and, and maybe also communities supporting each other as well. Can you just share with us a few of your expected highlights, which will be happening over the next few days? Yeah, so there's some really lovely virtual events happening over the week. We've got a few of our organisations, so Better Start in Bradford, for example, or Baby College are doing stuff for parents and families online, virtual groups. There's quite a lot of professional webinars happening. Leap are doing a professional webinar, as are Better Start in Bradford. The Anna Freud Centre are releasing some new resources for professionals. The Mental Health Foundation have got a report, um, a kind of self-help guide for for families coming out so a huge amount of kind of events and resources coming out through the week which I, I think will be brilliant really helpful and really good quality and and target different audiences as well so I was supposed to be in Australia this week at the World Association of Infomental Health Conference which I'm very sad to be missing but I am taking part in an international infomental health webinar which is on Wednesday so you know this is happening all over the world um, lots to look out to. I'd really just encourage anybody on social media to, to follow the, the Impor20 hashtag um, and, and see all the breadth of stuff that's going on. And we will be retweeting stuff from the First Thousand Days account. Well, thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. And I want to wish you all the best for the range of things you'll be doing over the next few days during Infant Mental Health Awareness Week. And of course, a big thanks for all the work that you're doing and the ongoing work into the future. So thanks for joining me today, Sally. Thank you, Dave.
Thank you.